Well, welcome to Emmanuel. How are you feeling this morning? Pretty good? Excited to be here? I always like to uh, get started off on the right foot uh, when I'm giving these talks. I'm excited about the, the, this talk I'm going to give you. But before I share, uh, get into things, I want to share something that happened last night uh, at our 530 service. And, and uh, it's just because I love our church and I love what happens at our church and the culture that we've created. After the talk last night, uh, I guess around a 20-something-year-old guy came forward and and uh, he said, hey, I've got some questions about your talk. And we, we had this great conversation. It turns out he was an atheist. And he had some, uh, some questions that he had, you know, for me uh, about what I said. And, and here's what I loved about the whole scenario. It happened kind of right down in this area over here. And it was this totally comfortable conversation that we were having about a person, uh, about some issues that a person who doesn't have faith in Christ, and he had his reasons why he wasn't a believer, and it was just like we were talking, like, you know, at a coffee shop or something like that, and, and it was just this beautiful, beautiful conversation, and um, here, here's, what, here's what I left with last night. I thought, man, it's an incredible that we have created an environment, all of you and myself included, and God has helped us do this, where a person who doesn't have faith in God can come and feel comfortable enough to come forward after the service and just have a conversation, to sit and to listen. And uh, you have helped to create that environment. And so uh, don't you just love our church where somebody like that can come? And so if you're here today and you are an atheist or an agnostic or a person of a different religion and you don't have faith in Christ, man, we welcome you. We want you, to, we want you to know our heart is you can come and listen anytime. We want you to go at your pace, investigate the claims of Christianity. And uh, if you have questions, you can come to me. You can go to somebody else. And that's, that's, uh, we really try hard to create that environment. So uh, with that being said, we're in a series right now called Unsearchable. And, and the word unsearchable, we've been talking about uh, or describing it as this word that means incalculable or indescribable, or boundless, or, or limitless, or incomprehensible. And we've been using this illustration of space to kind of demonstrate uh, the, 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 uh, the word unsearchable, that we know a little bit about space, but what we, what we don't know about space far, far, far outweighs a little bit that what we do know. And uh, so this week in our staff meeting, one of my staff members said, you know, why don't you stop talking about space, because I think you're boring some people. <laughs> why don't you talk about something else? So, I th so that he mentioned... Um, you know, the ocean. And I thought, okay, that's, that's pretty good. And, and the ocean, I don't know if you knew this, but the ocean covers about 70% of the planet. Were you paying attention in fourth grade? I, I don't know. I don't, maybe I wasn't. Uh, but it, it, there's a lot of water on the earth. And so if this represents all 70% of all the water on the earth, do you know that the amount of, of ocean that has been explored is 5%? In other words, 95% of the world's oceans have not even been looked at by a human eye. So what does that look proportionally? If this is all 70%, this is the 5% that we've seen. And all of this is unsearched territory. Now, we've had telescopes, you know, you know, places, you know, uh, that look down from space and not telescopes, but what are they called? Satellites. Nice. So you help the preacher. You help them out. Uh, and the satellites, we've had them kind of do things. That they, can, they can look at the floor, but not the human eye. The human eye has not seen 95% of the oceans. That's incredible because it's, it's just really hard. It's so vast. In fact, in, they're, they're, the, earth, the ocean is so vast. Let me tell you how far, how, how much water is in the ocean. This is hard to understand, for me at least. There are 332 million cubic miles 
of water on the planet. A cubic mile is, a, is, is kind of a mile in every direction. It's a big giant cube, width, depth, height. 332 million cubic miles of water. That is unbelievable. How many gallons of water is that? <laughs> you can Google this. You can check me on this. You fact check me. It's unbelievable how many gallons. Think of a gallon of milk in your refrigerator, right? You can see, can you see that? You know how many gallons of water that is? 352 quintillion gallon, gallons of water. Now, quintillion, what's that? Well, there's million, then there's tr- billion, which is, which is a thousand million, that's a ton, uh, a ton. And then you go trillion, and then you go, what's after that? Quadrillion, then you go quintillion. I mean, it's unbelievable how much water is on the earth. Well, of course, most of it is unsearched. And so, and here's what the Bible says about the God who made the ocean and the space. Isaiah 40, I just read this in in the one-year Bible. Who has held the oceans, all 352 quintillion gallons, in his, say it with me, are you kidding me? Like, this God is so big, so vast, that he can hold all of the oceans in his hand. And we haven't, we've only looked at 5%. It's unbelievable. And then, who has measured the heavens with his fingers? You know how you know, long one light year is? It's, it's, it's six trillion miles, this one light year. You know, it's, it's just unbelievable how big space is. And anyway, my brain starts to hurt when I think about all that stuff. But it's fun, it's fun. If, if the creation is unsearchable, what does that mean about the creator? Like, who are we really dealing with here when we deal with God? He is a tremendous, tremendous God. But just because he's unsearchable and we can't know everything there is to know about God doesn't mean we can't know a few things. And so in this series, what we wanted to do is kind of talk about some of the things we do know about God in hopes that you and I would kind of be overwhelmed blown away by the beauty of God and, 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 and the unsearchable riches, really, is what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. To me, this gift, this grace was given to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, is what we've looked at that verse a couple of times in this series. And so what we talked about is things like peace and power and love. And, and last week, we talked about this idea that part of the unsearchable riches of Christ is that no one is excluded from being blessed by God. Like, no human condition is outside of the, blessing, the blessings of God. I hope that was encouragement to you. If you missed last week, man, go back and watch that. That's what Jesus brought. And so today, what I want to do is kind of continue that conversation on and talk about what, what do we know about God in hopes that it would just blow our doors off and we just fall deeper in love with God. Is that fair? That's what we want to try to do do. And so uh, I, was on a, I was on a phone call this week with a friend of mine uh, from high school, and he's made some pretty bad mistakes uh, over the last 20 years or so, and he continues to make poor, poor mistakes. Anybody have a friend from high school like that? Are, are, are you that friend from high school? <laughs> and so because he's made so many poor decisions over the last 15, 20 years, uh, he's left a lot of collateral damage, and a lot of relationships have been blown apart, but I still take his call from from time to time, and so I'm on the phone with him, and I'm just talking to him, and, and he's saying sorry for a couple of things that he did, uh, which he repeatedly does, and um, I was just listening, and then he said this, and he always kind of fits this in. He, he says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really not a bad person. In fact, Danny, hey, Dan, he says, hey, Dan, I'm, I'm really a good person, and of course, I just listen, just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, that's what you do sometimes when you go 18 rounds with somebody, and they don't change. You just, you just go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, on the other end of the phone. Anybody else do that? So I'm doing a lot of that. And, and what, after the phone call was over, I realized, man, he's not, the only buddy, he's not the only person that says that. I mean, I've heard that before. You, you ever been pinned down for some, stu- some stupidity? And you get caught, and you're in trouble, 
and you get exposed and you have this, this urge to kind of say, I'm really not that bad. <laughs> I'm really a good person, but you've but you just been exposed for doing something really, really bad or really wrong. What is that inside of us? Like, why do we say those things? Why do people do that? And I, here, here's what I think. I think that you and I are hardwired to want to be good. I believe God made us that way. And we're hardwired, our souls are hardwired to want other people to think that we're good, which is where all of our justifications and rationalizations come from. (laughs) Have you ever watched somebody squirm when they get caught? And they try to, oh, well, the reason I did that, and they bend themselves, and they say, well, here's why. And it reminds me of Neo in the, first, in the first Matrix when he's dodging all those bullets. Isn't that a cool scene? Some of you are like, what? Anyway, great movie. The first one. The others are hard to understand. Anyway, so I'm going to do a whole series on that, in fact, one day. I'm gonna, it's going to be called The Circus. It's the hoops people jump through when they get caught for their crap. It's going to be a great series. <laughs> but we'll talk about that some other time. But the, the, the justifications and the rationalizations, they come from this desire, uh, this desire to want to be good or at least to want you to think I'm good. Let me tell you why I behave like an idiot. Let me, see, if you understand my reasoning, then you'll go, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, you were wronged or, you, you know, you were whatever, right? You got the short end of the stick, so I understand why you lied or whatever, you know. And so we want, we want, we want to be good. I want to ask the question today, what does a good person look like? What does a good person look like? When you think of a good person, we often think, I know I think of a guy like Billy Graham. Like in my mind, like this dude, he's, he's just a really good guy. And he's, he's stayed the course. He's been faithful to his spouse. Hasn't gotten off course his entire life. Some of you may think of maybe the Dalai Lama or something like that when you think of a really good person. Or maybe Mother Teresa. I know I think of her, and as I've studied her life a little bit, she's just, she was just really, she gave her life to the least of these, to people who, who were just dying. And, and it's unbelievable what, what she, how she changed the world. Or maybe Princess Diana, some of you think, think of her when you think of a good person. What is a, what is a good person look like? Don't we think of somebody who does good deeds or just, you know, helps others out or someone that tells the truth all the time and they, they live their walk or, or they don't talk bad about other people. They don't gossip. They don't, they, they don't throw people under the bus. And I mean, we all kind of have this picture of what a good person looks like. You know what Jesus did when he came? He brought knowledge of reality. When he came to this earth, he didn't just come to die on the cross for our sins. He brought a picture of what is real. He actually answered the question of who is blessable and who is a good person? When you look into the Bible, here's what we see. The good person is the person who's the disciple of Jesus. The good person is the person who is a disciple of Jesus. Right before Jesus left this planet, he said these words in Matthew chapter 28. Go, therefore, and make, say it with me, make what? Disciples, followers, students, apprentices of me, of all nations. He didn't say go get some... Christian dude elected to the presidency. I know that would be the, the desire of some of our hearts, you know, to really fix the world is to get a Christian guy elected or something like that, or some, some, some leader to become a Christ follower. He didn't say that. Now, here's a question I have to ask when I, when I think about this, this commandment. Like, he could have said anything. The last, his, his last words, he's about to leave the earth, he's given his disciples instructions, and he says, go make disciples. He doesn't say, get Peter elected. Like, Pete's a big deal. Pete, you're the big dog, and upon this rock, I'm going to build a church, and, you know, you're in charge. Let's get, let's get together a campaign and get Pete elected, 
you know, to be emperor or something like that. And then, and then he'll bring in the rule of the kingdom and all the problems will get solved. Could Jesus have done that? Could Jesus have gotten Peter elected? Could Jesus have gotten himself elected? Now, when I asked that question in the earlier service, somebody said, no. And I'm like, really? The dude walked on water. Like, <laughs> like, he, like he walked through walls. Like one time he even like raised himself from the dead. You don't think he could have gotten elected? I mean, I mean Seriously, he could have gotten elected and then he could have, through his political position, he could have solved all the world's problems, right? But what's interesting about Jesus, who had all authority in heaven and earth, he doesn't say, go, you know, take over the political system, right? And this is important right now for you to hear this because we're in a political season, we're getting ready to elect the president, all that stuff. He didn't say that that's the agenda. Instead, he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and we're going to make followers. Why? Why is this the mission in your notes? Here's, the, here's why. Because discipleship to Jesus is the path to goodness. That's why. Discipleship to Jesus is the path to goodness. That's why. In other words, when you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus deals with the root issue in the human heart, which is selfishness. Anybody? Honest? Any honest people? My, both my hands are up. Because <laughs> the, problem the problems in my life is when I get selfish. The issues that go on in my home that cause tension is selfishness. Listen to what Jesus said one time in Luke chapter 9. Then he, then he said to the crowd, If anyone wants to be my disciple, my follower, my student, my apprentice, that's what that word is there, you must turn from your, say it with me, selfish ways. Now, we don't get excited about this, because I just heard that was a little bit low. So let's get a little bit, a little bit more excitement. Say it with me. My what? My selfish ways. See, we have to be honest with ourselves. I heard, one, I heard somebody say this one time. The truth pins you down before it sets you free. I mean, it's so not good. Anyway, so, so we got to be honest with ourselves. Say, my issue, Jesus knew the issue of the human heart was selfishness. So if I want to become a really good person, i got to deal with my selfish ways, take up the cross, which was an instrument of death. I know we wear them around our necks sometimes as jewelry. I even have one on my ring sometimes. But really, it's, a, it's like wearing a, a, an electric chair around your neck. That's what it is. I mean, it's an it's a instrument of death. Weird, isn't it? Okay, but anyway. So take up your cross, which is going to kill your selfishness and follow me. See, that's the path to becoming a really good person. Jesus deals with that. Now, we don't have to get, have time to get into all that right now and, and how that plays itself out, but Jesus deals with the issue in the heart that's causing us to be not, so, not such good people. And then, in fact, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this. A disciple or follower is not above his teacher. In other words, we're, we're never going to be, be above Jesus, right? We're never going to go further than him, but, however, everyone who is fully trained, who enters into this path of discipleship, this training system, and we could talk more about that next week, will be, will be what? Say it with me. Will be like his teacher. In other words, you are supposed to, in fact, it's God's plan as his follower for you to become like Jesus, to learn his ways, to treat people the way he treated people, to think the way he thinks, to act the way he acts. Now, you may not be a Christ follower today. You may not be a disciple. You may be a person of a different religion or a different faith. You may be an agnostic or you may be an atheist. But even if you're not a person of, of faith in, in Christ, you, would, you probably wouldn't argue with the fact that Jesus was a really good dude. Do you agree with this? Historically, he was a really good guy. Like He loved on some people. He did some good stuff for some people, right? Like historically, you can make the argument that whether, he, whether or not he was the son of God, he was a really good guy. 
And here Jesus is saying, you know what? When you are fully trained in the path of discipleship, you will become just like me. So what does that goodness look like? In other words, we have to ask this question. How did Jesus move through the world? How did he, how did he go about living his life? What did that goodness actually look like? Because that's where we're headed if we're a disciple of Christ. To be just like him as he was in this world. And here's the answer to that question. He loved all people. He loved all people. He was loving to all. Now, I have to be honest with you, I don't like this answer. I wish it was different. (laughs) And the reason I don't like this answer, because it sounds weak. It sounds soft. It sounds feminine. It sounds mushy, gushy. (laughs) Hey, just go out and love your neighbor. As a guy, I'm thinking, you know, I want to like, I want to like, win and compete and defeat and sometimes destroy people, you know? <laughs> now, so that's why I don't like the answer, right? It, does, it, sounds, it sounds so uh, non-masculine. But it's, it's, so I want to push into what does this idea mean? In fact, I think the reason that the Muslim faith is growing so rapidly in our world today is because it presents God more uh, in, in a masculine light. He's harsh. If you mess up, you're done. If you don't pray five times a day, you're going to hell. I mean, it, the, the presentation of God in the Muslim faith is much more, it, it's, he's a God of justice and punishment. And so a lot of men, a lot of men go towards that because it, it seems to, to, to get that masculine thing going inside of us. And, he, and then you have Jesus on the other side going, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> and all the women flock to Jesus. <laughs> is there anything masculine about Jesus? I mean, what does this really mean? And I think, I think there really is. One time there was a guy that came to Jesus. He was a lawyer, and he said, Jesus, how, how does a person, you know, inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what does the law say? And the guy answers because he knows the law. This is what the guy says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, hey, go, great, good answer, go do that, you should be fine. Well, the guy seeks, is wanting to kind of push in and justify himself and, 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 and kind of make it seem like, hey, I, I, I do this, so I'm good to go. And so, so uh, Jesus tells him a story uh, about what, what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. It's called the story of the Good Samaritan. And if you, you've been around church, you know the story. Jesus says there's this guy on the road, uh, he gets beat up, left for dead, he gets mugged, and uh, two religious guys walk by, they don't stop. A Levite and a priest, and, and they, they go by. And then this third guy comes by, and he stops, and he gets down, and he takes up this, this guy, bandages up his wounds, and puts him on his donkey, takes him into town, and pays his bill. And then he says, if he incurs any more debt, I'll pay that too. And then Jesus asked the guy this question in verse 36. Now, which of these three, would you say, was a neighbor to the man who, attacked, who was attacked by bandits? Which one obeyed the second commandment? Who loved his neighbor as himself? And, of course, the guy's smart. He's a lawyer. He responds, verse 37. The man replied, the one who showed mercy, the one who showed love. Then Jesus said, yes. Now go and, this is the part I love, ready? Say it with me. The go and do the same. So what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? It means that you're doing something. You're acting. You're meeting a need. You're looking at somebody who's dead, left for dead on the side of the road, and if you don't intervene, that guy's going to die. Now, I like that as a man, because that appeals to my action-oriented orientation or position. I want to do something with my life. So love, in the end, looks like a person who's meeting people's 
needs. So we could sum it up by saying this, the good person, in your notes there, the good person acts for the good of others. That's what love is. When Jesus went through this world, that's how he related to other people. He did what was best for people. He did what was best for you and I when he died on the cross and rose again. He did exactly what we needed. We needed forgiveness. We need the penalty of sin to be removed from our life. We needed grace. We needed mercy. And that's what he did. And he did it because he loved us. The good person is the person who's acting for the good of others. And that's what love really is. Listen to what Paul said as he summed it up in Romans 13, 10. Love does no wrong to his neighbor because love is doing what is best for your neighbor. So love doesn't manipulate. Love doesn't deceive. Love doesn't cheat on their spouse because that's not what's best for your spouse, right? Love doesn't provoke your children to anger because that's not what's best for your children. Love doesn't lie to coworkers or, to, or steal from the company because that's not what's best for your coworkers. See what? Love does no wrong to his neighbor. Therefore, Paul says, love fulfills the requirements of God's law. In other words, every single commandment God has given us will be fulfilled if you simply love your neighbor as yourself, which means you're always doing what's best for them. See, you become a really good person when love is the guiding principle of your life because you're always doing what is best for the people in your life. Yes or no? Does that make sense? And then you get a society filled with people who always do what is best for others. And from the bottom up, not the top down, not from the president down, Okay, that's where a lot of us are getting caught up in this whole political, you know, season. All that. Oh, we, we need great leaders at the top, and of course we do. Of course we do. I'm not saying we don't. But that's not what Jesus said, right? It's a, he had a bottom-up approach that if you create really good people who are always doing what is right for their neighbor, from the bottom up, the whole society gets better. You see what I'm saying? Now, if you disagree with that, you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with the Son of God, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. That was his whole system. Go and make disciples. Because disciples will do what's best for, the, for their neighbor. And what does that literally look like? That looks like love. That's love. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Paul was really summing up what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Listen, these are the words of Christ. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do, again, action word, do also to them. For this is the summation of the entire law, the law and the prophets. Just simply do what is best for your spouse, for your son, for your daughter, for your neighbor. Do what you wish they would do to you. Now, that's pretty simple, don't you think? I think that's pretty easy to preach. Some of you have, have heard that, and you tried it, and you say, well, that didn't work. Been there, done that, Pastor Danny. That's old. <laughs> I tried to do what was best for others, and they don't do it back. Now, let's think about that together. Can we collectively think about that together for a second? I've tried, let's say, here you hear yeah. I've tried to do that. It doesn't work. What, when someone says that, here's what they're saying. My motive was really selfish. I tried to do what was best for my spouse. I tried to do what was best for my kid, my neighbor, my coworker, whoever. But they don't return the favor. Oh, really? So, so what was your motive to begin with? Wasn't it You? It wasn't love. Love simply does what's best for their neighbor, and that's it. End of story. There's no equation. There's no reciprocation. There's no, re there's no waiting for the favor to come back to you. Do you think that guy, that third guy, that Samaritan who stopped on the road and picked up that guy who was left for dead and brought him into town and paid his bill and wrapped up his bandages, do you think he said on the way out, now listen, buddy, I expect you to return the favor 
Come on, right? Love is simply doing what is best for your neighbor, and that's it. End of story. There's no waiting around to see if the favor is returned. And if you're waiting around, it's not an act of love. Jesus believed this so much that he believed that love was actually the mark of the Christian. Like, it's the thing that should identify you and I as a disciple. Listen to his words. I'm not making this up. This is what Jesus said in John 13. By this, all people will say it with me. They'll know. They'll come to an understanding. They'll have knowledge that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't say if you have got a lot of Bible knowledge, if you come to church every weekend, oh, you're one of those people that goes to church every weekend. In fact, if you go to church every weekend, that might be a sign that you're a hypocrite (laughs) to the outside world, right? Because they don't don't really like, the outside world's got very negative opinions of people that go to church every weekend. That's just the culture we live in, right? He didn't say you'll know that you're my disciple if you have a lot of Bible knowledge, if you know everything between the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation. Oh, you must be a Christian. No, he said, here's how you're going to be known if you love one another. It's not your Bible knowledge. It's not the way you vote. <laughs> it's, not the, it's not you staying out of bars and, 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 and staying away from, from certain, you know, music and movies. That was a big thing years ago, right? Now, I think there's certain movies and music you shouldn't listen to because it hurts your soul, right? But that's not the, that's not the mark. That's not the mark of a Christ follower. He says the mark or the, the, the distinguishing factor is your love for one another. Now, Play this out with me really quick. Play this out. Let's just say you decide you're going to do that with God's help. You're going to become a person who loves. You're going to become a really good person by loving your neighbor, by doing what is best. How does that work out in your marriage? Let me give you an example of how it worked out last night in my life. This is fun. Last night we had a sleepover. Bo had a friend over and Ruby had a friend over and we had a sleepover. So last night I preached, went home, was tired, pizza, quick, 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 eat you know, hang out a little bit, 10 o'clock rolls around, my eyes are starting to fall, right, I want to go to sleep, and we've got five children in our house, three of which are our, our own offspring, two of which are friends, and it's 10 o'clock, and, and, and I looked at my wife, I said, so you're, so you're going you're gonna to wrap this up, right, you're going to, like, this was your idea, <laughs> wait, you don't have those conversations in your house? So now I look at her, and I can see she's just, she's tired too, you know, it's just, you know, it's a long day, and, and I don't know why we had a sleepover. Why do parents do what parents do? I have no idea. I really don't. In retrospect, you look back and say, I think we're crazy. Anyway, we do it. We love our kids. We try to help them, help them to have fun. Anyway, so I look at her, and she says, well, you know, uh, I've got to grab a shower and, you know, get this, get ready for tomorrow, and, you know, it would really be helpful if you got the kids at least started towards bed teeth teeth brushed, you know, PJs on, all that stuff. If you could at least get them, they were downstairs playing or whatever. You know, there was not an ounce of desire in me to want to do that for her. In fact, there was a whole bunch of desire and emotion to not do that and to just go to bed and to do what was good for me. Remember what Jesus said, if anybody wants to be my follower, he must deny his selfish ways. See, here I am, I'm in a pickle. A big pickle. I got to come here and preach to all of you that love is doing what is best for your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Well, Jackie Anderson. She's right there. <laughs> the word neighbor means nigh, nigh bore, close friend, right? That's what it means. And so I said, you know what? I gotta, I'm going to go do this, and I don't feel like it. <laughs> I don't feel like it. 
but I did it. And here's where we get caught up as a society, as a, as a, as a family, and here, here's where we get caught. We think that love is supposed to be a feeling, and it is not. There may be some feelings later, <laughs> but it is a choice to do what is best for your neighbor. And I'll tell you what, you get two people who are doing that consistently, whether it's a business partnership, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter, whatever, you get two people who, who will actually do what is best for their neighbor, even when they don't feel like it, you got a good thing going. And that is the riches of the kingdom. And I'm telling you what, it's because of that one principle that Jackie and I have a good marriage. Let me say it again. It is because of that one principle that Jackie and I have a good marriage. If I trusted in my feelings, we would have a bad marriage. I would go to bed instead of helping, and she would resent me and think I was a selfish pig. You do that day after day after day, guess who's getting a divorce? Right here, right here. This is no joke. This is me living life with you. Divorce court. Why? Because I chose to went to bed too many times, and it's no different for you. This is the riches of the kingdom, to love your neighbor as yourself is to do what is best for them. I want, to, I want you to hear Sam's story. You've probably heard it before, but it's so good. I wanted you to hear it again. It's a picture of somebody who wanted to become a good person, really tried to become a good person, was invited to Emmanuel, heard the message, and it changed her life. Check out Sam's story. Hi, everyone. My name is Samantha Plant. So my life before Christ was full of anxiety, fear, jealousy, sadness, um, anger, um, I grew up in a home full of domestic abuse um, with a father that chose drugs and alcohol before us children. We didn't really go to church as a family, so I didn't really grow up to know Christ. I kind of just went through life thinking that if I was a good person who didn't do any harm to others or who even helped others, that maybe I could earn my way into heaven. Um, I didn't really feel like I needed God to be that good person. Um, and so I went through life just striving to be as best as I could be, hoping that that would be enough to get me into heaven. One weekend, Stephen Barnett, my boyfriend, uh, invited me to come to church with him. And at that point in our relationship, we had been together for four and a half years. And prior to that weekend, never once even mentioned God's name. So when he invited me to come to church with him, I was a little thrown off and caught off guard. And so I denied his invitation and let him go by himself. Um, the following day was the start of uh, my journey through the IU Physician Assistant Master's Program. And it was during this first week we were introduced to a lady who walked us through a meditation segment. And there was one um, comment that she made to us that I'll never forget. She told us uh, that you will all one day be medical professionals who will help others attain a healthy lifestyle. And it's important not to forget that health includes body, mind, and spirit. And it was at that time it spoke with me because I had realized that just that previous weekend, I turned down an invitation to do just that, nourish my spirit. Um, so I was invited, luckily, the next week. Once again, Stephen reached out and invited me, um, asked me to at least give it a shot, and I said, why not? So I did, uh, came and haven't looked back. Uh, after a few weeks of attending Emmanuel, um, Danny led everyone in the prayer as he does each week. And the tug on my heart from God and the presence of God was undeniable. Um, 
he led me through the prayer and I, I spoke every word of it and um, was just overwhelmed by God's love and acceptance. And it was the first time that I truly felt accepted by God and loved by God. And it was just so overwhelming. I was bawling the entire time. I was too nervous to go grab a one-year Bible at that time. And we were walking out to my car and he was like, are you okay? You're, you seem to be walking kind of slow. Is everything all right? And he turned to me at that time and said, you said that prayer, didn't you? And I agreed and I said, yeah, I did. And he goes, oh my gosh, let's go back inside. Let's get you a Bible. So it was, I was really glad that he was there with me and um, encouraged me to go back inside and fight the crowd and get up there and get a Bible. And uh, it's been incredible. The past two years have just been um, more than I could ask for. This church is truly amazing. I really resonate with music. I don't know about a lot of people, but um, our worship time in the morning really resonates with me and just helps me grow. Um, definitely Danny's action steps really help me um, apply what we learn through the weekend and allow it allow me to apply that to my daily life throughout the week and that's really been helpful for me. About six months it seemed as though life was kind of turning against me. Uh, my faith was kind of put to the test and from December um, of 2013 until May of 2014 I lost four family members and five friends. Just taking a new perspective and um, learning, I guess, from my past and just kind of learning from Jen as well, the fact that, you know, pulling ourselves towards God, even though we may not have the answers for some of the things that occur to us in this life, um, not everything is for us to know. We just have to trust in God and know that God is looking out for us and that he's carrying us through um, some of the lowest valleys that we might experience. Well, through the past year, just the sense of peace and joy that I was able to experience, even through um, everything that seemed to be going wrong, he was still able to pull me and hold me together, um, was I, something about that just really resonated with me and um, just showed me that, you know, God's real, he's there, and he is able to provide that comfort that you might need in um, some of your weakest times. Since accepting Christ into my life, I've experienced his love, grace, and mercy on a daily basis. God's presence in my life has allowed me to feel more joy than I've ever experienced before. Our mission at this church is to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ, to become that disciple, that good person. And the way that that plays itself out is in, is in environments like this. And so we've created this one. We have another environment in Perry Meridian at the corner of Banta and Harding. It's called the Banta Campus. And we have another environment in the middle school right now in Franklin. And um, if you've been around here, you know we're raising money so that we can have a permanent site in Franklin so we can have an environment just like this to reach people in, in the Franklin area with the unsearchable riches of Christ so that more people like Samantha can, can find it. And uh, we don't build buildings here because we like to build um, I, I can barely swing a hammer. Um, it's not a liking for, for buildings. It's, it's a liking or a desire to see more people come into an environment, a safe place to hear the life-changing message of Christ. And so we're trying to raise $2 million over the next 12 months uh, to make this possible. And uh, in your handout, you received a card. And I would like, if you, if I would like you to grab it right now, just look at it with me. Um, if you didn't grab a handout in the way in, you can grab one on the way out. There's a card in it. On this card, it says, 
I, my family, commit to give blank amount of dollars between October 1st in 2016 and October 1st, 2017, above and beyond my regular giving. Now, for those of you who give on a regular basis, this gift has to, it cannot be a transfer. If it's a transfer, we're going to lose funds in our general budget, and then we won't be able to pay our bills here. Like any organization, a church is like any other organization. We have bills, monthly bills that come in. So uh, we would ask you not to just transfer your giving, but to give above and beyond what you normally give towards this multi-site strategy uh, for a permanent Franklin campus. On the back side of the card, there's different levels that you can jump in on. Um, there's, you can see we need 650 families to jump in for $500, 250 to jump into 1,000, and you can read the rest yourself. My hope and prayer is that everyone will at least jump in at the bottom level of $500. It's less than $10 a week. Think about that. For less than $10 a week, if all of the 4,100 families that come to Emmanuel jump in, we would raise that $2 million in 12 months. Now, there's many of you that can jump in at some other level that is much higher than that because God has prospered you, given you the ability to have extra money or to make money. We would ask you to do that as well. Um, so why would we do this? Why would I ask you to do this? It's because we want to reach people with the unsearchable riches of Christ. We want to reach people with the good news that they can become and experience life the way it was designed to be lived. And so some of you do your, your giving online. Let me encourage you with something here. When you go to the app uh, or when you go online and you click the, the giving button, you'll see here, you can go to this area here. It says reference. If you click on the drop-down button, there's actually a category called multi-site campaign. And you can click on there if you do all of your giving online and you can do it that way. So here's what we're going to ask you to do. Next week, we're going to have a Commitment Sunday. It's also going to be Baptism Weekend. We're going to ask you to bring this card back. There's no name on here. We don't want you to put your name on because we're not going to track your gift, okay? We just want to know collectively as a, as a congregation how many cards we have and what the, what the amount is because we have to take that information to our bank so that they can see that we at least have some verbal commitments uh, to the project, okay? So we're going to ask you to bring this next week. We're going to have boxes down front here. At some point during the service, we're going to ask you to put this card in the box as your commitment. Also, also, in your handout, there is an envelope. On the top of it, it says multi-site, uh, a multi-site campaign. This envelope is for your best gift towards your commitment. So let's say you commit to $1,000 over the next 12 months. What we're going to ask you to do next, year, next week is to bring your best gift, what you have, towards that $1,000 and to put it in here. And here's why we're doing that. Very simply put, we need cash to get the project up and running a surge of cash on the front end for all the stuff that has to take place as we try to get this building built. There's a lot of uh, costs there. And so we were asking you to bring your best gift towards your, your commitment over the next 12 months. We would ask you to put that gift in this envelope. Now, on the bottom, it does have your name, okay? The reason we put your name on here is that if you want credit towards your tax you know, information at the end of the year, we have to be able to track it somehow so we know that you're the person that actually gave the gift. But that's the only reason that we put a name on this envelope. If you don't care about the tax benefits of that, then you do not have to put your name on there. You could just put your best gift in there and put it in the offering plate or put it in the boxes. But if you would like that information for your taxes, you need to put your name on there so we can track it. Does that make sense? Yes? Now, I wish we didn't have to build buildings. I wish we, somehow they would just miraculously appear. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. They don't grow out of the ground. We actually have to build them and pay for them. But the reason we would do that, again, is because we are passionate about people coming to Christ and growing in Christ. In fact, in fact, I'll say this. 
if we define love as doing what is best for others, the gift that you give over the next 12 months is, a, is, a, is an act of love. You are doing what is best for others. What is best for people? That they find Christ and they become that disciple. Speaking of that, I know there's at least a few of you in here today that you would probably fit into that category that Samantha was in. You walked in here today without a relationship with Christ. Can I share something with you real quick? These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, there's no greater expression of love. And we define love as doing what is best for somebody, right? There's no greater expression of that love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends. I want you to hear this today. Jesus didn't just say, I love you. He actually put his life down for you, laid his life down for you. He wasn't murdered. He wasn't taken against his will. He let them nail him to the cross. He gave his life away. Why? Because what separated you from God was sin and the penalty of sin. You could not have a relationship with God because in our hearts, we've turned away. And so Christ lays his life down on the cross to pay the penalty for that sin, to wash away the guilt, the shame, the separation between you and God. He died on the cross because we needed him to die on the cross. And that's why it was an act of love. And he says, there's no greater, there's no greater way I could express it to you but than, than to lay my life down for you. And that's exactly what he did. And some of you need to embrace that in the same way Samantha did and say, okay, I get it. I want that love. I want to be reunited with God. I believe that Christ died on the cross for me and I'm gonna, I'm gonna receive it. How do I do it? Well, you, you talk to God. You pray. Prayer is, is basically communication with God backed by faith. And, and so you're placing your faith in Christ saying, I believe in what you did for me. I believe you love me enough to lay your life down for me so that I can have true eternal life. If you'd like to do that right now, I'm gonna invite you to pray a simple prayer. You might be thinking, well, I don't pray. Well, you can take my words and turn them into your own and pray this prayer to God right now and become his child and receive eternal life. Would you bow your heads with me? If you feel that tug on your heart in the same way Samantha did, just reach out in faith and say these words to Christ. Dear Jesus, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for laying down your life on my behalf. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sin, the penalty I could not pay. Thank you for conquering sin and death and bridging that gap between me and your Father. Jesus, I trust you. I believe in you. Wash me of my sin. Cleanse me. I receive your grace. I receive your mercy. I receive your love right now in this moment. Thank you for making me your child. I want to be your disciple. Moving forward, Jesus, help me to walk that path of goodness. To become like you. To love others the way you love them. To do what is best for them. I know it'll transform my home, my work environment, my relationships, and our society. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, 
I would love to put, our church would love to put a one-year New Testament in your hand. Here's why. The path of discipleship requires remaining in his word. In fact, one time Jesus said to his disciples, if you remain in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so what we do is we, we ask you to, to stay in the word every day on a, on, a, on a daily basis to keep God's word flowing through your mind and heart. Because when we do that, he guides us. He reveals his will to us. He reveals what's going on in our heart that is a, that, that's not right. He reveals what we should do when it comes to our finances or our marriage or our sexuality. He, like, he shows us how to live this life, but we won't know it if we're not in his word. So if you pray to receive Christ today, there's tables back here. If you're in the balcony, come on down. There's some folks here that would love to put one of these in your hands. Can we give God some love today, some praise today? The will, the will of God's people, and when I say will, when I, I mean action, the decision. If you guys have the will to build this campus, it'll get built. If you don't have the will, it'll be a struggle. I'm just telling you, we've, been, we've lived, I have been pastor of this church long enough to know what happens when there's not enough will, when people say, oh, they don't need my $10 a week. If you make the decision that they don't need my $10 a week, it will be a struggle on the staff, on me. It'll be a burden. But if everyone jumps in with a desire and a will to reach more people like Samantha, it gets done like that. Not only will it get done, there'll be a surplus because God's people had the will and the desire to fulfill his purpose in this world at such a time. Do you have the will? Do you have the desire? My wife and I are all in. We give our 10% and then we've added in addition to over the next 12 months, as much as we possibly can to see this campus get built. I'm going first, will you follow? The staff has gone first, the elders have gone. They've committed, the small group leaders have, in fact, they've committed right now, there's $210,000 committed from the leaders and the small group leaders of our church. Will you jump in, will you jump on board? Will you pray with me, Heavenly Father, Jesus, Spirit, um, thank you for, for allowing us to participate, to jump in and be part of what you're doing in this world, to reach people like Sam. Jesse, we heard her story last week. Alexis, we heard her story week one. And many, many, many others with, with this gospel, this good news that we can live with you right now, that we can be blessed right now, that we can have power and peace and joy and love right now as we step into your kingdom. Help us to be generous people and to give towards this project so we can see more and more people come into your kingdom. It's in Christ and we pray, amen. God bless you. Next week is Commitment Sunday. Bring your card and your best gift and we'll put them in the box. Bring a friend. God bless.